As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. If we continue our journey in the book of Acts. Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? I'll tell you, it's been a, a bit of a rough morning uh, for me. Uh, my wife, Katie, she's out of town with our youngest daughter, Allie. And so I got to tell you, I'm absolutely useless when she's not there. Uh, early service, I forgot my Bible. I'm not kidding you. I show up at church without a Bible. I mean, that's not good, is it? I mean, uh, uh, a mechanic needs a wrench. You would think a preacher needs a Bible. Thanks to Larry Shingler. Uh, he pinch hit for me. I used his Bible in the early service. Uh, I'm colorblind. I have no idea if I match or not. Don't tell me if I do or I don't. Uh, but God is good. Hey, this is supposed to be a super Sunday though, right? What's today? Groundhog Day. Same as the early service. I love that. I was like, really? Groundhog Day. All right. Uh, hey, that, that, that woodchuck, uh, Phil, Phil Ponce, uh, Ponce, Tony Phil, I guess he came out, I guess, uh, six more weeks of winter. So know what we say to the people up North? <laughs> uh, my, bu- my brother's in Buffalo and we, uh, we exchange weather pictures from our phone and he, he, he's like negative 16. Are you kidding me? You know, I'm like 80 here, bro. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. You picked the wrong place, you know? Um, anyway, well, it is uh, what the world says is a super Sunday. Someone told me this. I, I didn't know if it's true. I didn't research this. Um, so uh, according to the veracity of a friend, Super Bowl Sunday uh, is the Sunday with the most uh, commercialism. I mean, we see that with the commercials, right? Um, didn't know this either, but apparently the most gambling. Um, and I don't, how do you find this statistic? I don't know, but the most prostitution. So interesting about our culture, uh, Sunday that we will call super, um, one that we will f- try to find uh, relief from our brokenness and addictions all over the place, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. It's a Sunday I look forward to. My community group is going to get together, and one thing I know is we are going to have fantastic fellowship. Uh, we are going to have some really good food. Uh, we've made sure that that's clear. Uh, what do you guys look for in a, in a Super Bowl kind of setting? Does anybody really care about these teams? I mean far away. If you do, good for you. I don't. Um, so, uh, but that doesn't matter. I want a good game. Don't you want a good game? I mean, to me, good game, funny commercials. How many of you like commercials? Really? I I could care less what happens. Show me the commercials. All right. Very good for all those materialists. I I see you. No, I like them too. They're really, really funny. And maybe the game will end in a Hail Mary. Wouldn't it be great if the game ends in a Hail Mary? Now, there may be some of you, don't say that it's you, that don't know what I'm talking about. But I guess for most of you, whether you care about football or not, you probably know what a Hail Mary is. If you don't, let me tell you. A Hail Mary is actually a Catholic prayer. um, But it's a Catholic prayer that's become associated with that last play, and specifically a football game, but it could be any ball game, where the... Team that's losing has the ball, and it's a heave desperation down the field, hoping for a prayer to be answered for the game to be won. Do you think that anybody ever figured that a prayer would be named after a football play? Well, in today's text, watch this. I'm connecting Hail Marys to the text, all right? Pretty good. I'm telling you right now. Um, in today's text, we're going to look in the book of Acts and we're going to see a guy named Simon. And do you know that Simon doesn't have a prayer associated with him? 
but he's got a word given to him. I'm not kidding you. Because of this man, because of the way he acts in the book of Acts, uh, Simon has a word, simony or simony, uh, that was given to him. It's not a good word. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means in just a moment. Let me tell you about Simon. We're going to meet him in the book of Acts today in chapter 8. Simon was a Samaritan, and he was an amazingly powerful man of magic tricks. Well, really, it was more than magic tricks. This is not like a guy you'd see at Vegas. Simon, if you look at what really is behind this, is a guy with like black magic. This is someone who's dabbling into the darkness. Uh, This is somebody who is able to do uh, some tricks that absolutely have riveted the attention of Samaria. I mean, they, they, the masses have been amazed with this guy. As a matter of fact, they think he's godlike. I mean, they, they refer to him, uh, Simon Magnus, uh, uh, the great, and they refer to him in, in terms that are kind of deified, as if he were deity. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Not only that, is uh, he considers himself great. He calls himself great. But we're going to find this Simon that's one who, uh, when he comes into contact with Philip, uh, who has uh, uh, come to Samaria because of persecution, who comes preaching good news that, that God is for us and that Jesus has died for our sins, that, that Philip comes to a, a dark place for a Jew called Samaria, and he comes with his good news, although his life is wrapped in a bad situation, proclaiming that Jesus has not only died for our sins, but that Jesus is alive and our sins have been forgiven. And it's this Philip that God is using so powerfully to proclaim good news, the good news of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has truly lived and died and resurrected for us. And this Philip, in, in the way he's preaching and the way he's living, the, the attention of the Sumerians that used to be focused on Simon have now started to focus on Philip. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that with one accord, like everybody's attention focused on him. And the power of the gospel was so great that, that even Simon, uh, even Simon was, a, uh, um, was amazed at what he was doing. And Simon says, this is so amazing. This is better than the black magic stuff. I, this stuff's unbelievable. That Simon said, I want it. I'll pay for it. That Simon offered the apostles who would come to town and and do some amazing things. He said, give me that power too. I want that in my bag of tricks. And because of that, because of a person trying to buy religious favor, of someone who's trying to buy God's favor and and buy uh, things that would set him free, that he would use for his own gain, that is the word simony or simony. And that, that word, it's an awful word. It's an evil word. It's, it's, a, it's a repugnant word. I mean, because isn't it true? Isn't it true that, that religion and money just sometimes produce some ugly things? I mean, those people who, in the name of religion, want to promote themselves, and those people who will, who will use money in the name of God to promote themselves, it's repugnant. It's simony. Simony, it's, it's named after the one we're about to see. As we look through this text, we're going to see three things. 
uh, that hopefully will, will amaze us and draw our attention. And the first thing is this, it's the captivating power of the gospel. How, how the gospel should be that power which really draws our attention in. The world's going to offer a lot of things to take away our attention. The world's going to offer a lot of power for us to focus on. But the first thing we're going to see is this, is the captivating power of the gospel. And that of that alone should, should cause us to focus our eyes on who God is and what his son has done. The second thing is this, is this, the impervious power of the gospel. You like that word impervious? Had a, had a really like pulling in my vocab for that one. Um, impervious, but maybe it's this, it's like, it's unpenetratable. It's not, not mixable. And the point that I really want you to see in this is this, is that the gospel is the power of God, amazing power, but it's not a mixing power. It, it's, it's impervious. It's, it's a standalone power. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. And the third thing we're going to look at is the problem-solving power of the gospel. But I got to confess before we begin. Although a good preacher has three points, and you can't really be a good Presbyterian preacher without three points, my sermon really has two. Okay? It's going to be the first two. And the first two are really the points. And then the third one, uh, this problem-solving power of the gospel, what that really is, it's like when you go to a movie, and the movie's ended, and you kind of want to know the kind of the rest of the story. You want to know how did this end? Um, I, I just saw Lone Survivor. Oh my goodness! What, what, what a what a movie! I mean, I walked out of that in silence. But at the end of the movie, they showed you pictures of of folks that were in the movie and kind of told you the rest of the story. Well, when I talk about uh, the problem solving power of the gospel, it's really going to take those problems that we see in the text because there's some tough things about this text, and there's some things right now. Listen. I'm going to read the text and you could get stuck. You could get stuck saying, well, wait a minute, how does this resolve? And and what is really happening here? Can I please challenge you to to trust the Holy Spirit uh, and to trust it? We'll come back to many of those things and I'll pick that up. And it really, it won't be necessarily like a one, two, three point sermon. It'll be one and two. And oh, by the way, let's don't miss this. That's the problem solving stuff. And then by God's grace, and I pray the Holy Spirit will help prepare us for the table. All right, you got the roadmap? You ready to go? This is, we're back, we're back in, uh, Acts, Acts chapter eight. Uh, Larry, thank you for letting me use your Bible. It was, it was smaller print in the early service. That was a challenge. Uh, I have a little bit of bigger print here on the late service. So, uh, whether it's Larry's Bible or my Bible, your Bible, the words on the screen, can I tell you that this is inspired words? A guy named Luke wrote them a long time ago. Um, but because he was actually God's spirit was breathed upon him. Uh, these are living words, true words. These aren't words just to entertain you. Uh, these words are written to transform you, to pierce your very heart and your, your, your joints and your bones and marrow. It's amazing what God's word can do. So let's hear God's word. I'll start in verse 9 uh, and we'll read through verse 25, picking up where we left off last time. In Samaria, in Samaria. but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Hey, by the way, what do you think about people who say that they themselves were great? Maybe there might be a football player at the end of a football game. They'll come on TV and say, I'm the greatest. Kind of Simon here. He was great. Everybody had their attention on him. And let me tell you what, he told people, I'm great. Verse 7, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, listen what they say. 
This man is the power of God that is called great. And they have paid attention to him because for a long time, this is not a flash in the pan. For a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. And don't think of like, you know, find the little ball underneath the hat. I mean, this is black magic. This is dark stuff. But, but when they believe Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. The amazing one was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, two apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We'll get to that. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given, given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He committed simony, saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot. The word clergy we get from that. It's an interesting word. In this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that hmm, if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, you taste bad, and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now that when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the good, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, this passage is so rich and so deep and so challenging. But the only one who can unfold the richness and the truth is you. And God, I know that you are pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. But God, it can only work. We can only understand if you are the one who will be pleased to come and to speak. Give us ears to hear your voice, Jesus. Give us minds to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit, your word. Father, come in such a powerful way that you would give us hearts to embrace your truth, to understand what your son has done for us. And gracious God, be with us so powerfully that you would empower our feet to walk out of here in a manner worthy of the gospel as your beloved sons and daughters. Father God, there's a lot here this morning and I ask if I say things that are wrong or if I say things that are merely my opinion, that those things would fall away and be forgotten. But God, the things that are preached that are true, 
the things that are preached that, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would use those very things to bring you glory and to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen. In your bulletins, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along. And again, is the first thing we'll see is the captivating power of the gospel. As you look at this Simon, who was considered godlike to the people of Samaria, he had captured their attention. And he had captured their attention for a long time. I mean, there's people who come and go on the scene that are like meteorites. Isn't it true? I mean, there's people that have their, their two minutes of fame and they're gone. Not Simon. This is a guy who lived in Samaria. They knew about him. And he got their attention for a long stuff by the nasty stuff that he was doing. This is no flash in the pan. Simon is no one-trick pony. This is a very, very powerful man. Let me tell you about Simon. They actually found a a statue for Simon, Simon uh, the Samarian, in Rome. And, And Rome is the most powerful city in the world at this time. So Simon has international power, celebrity status. I mean, this is, this is somebody not just known in little Samaria that, that had some really cool tricks that kept people's attention. And this is a powerful guy that people sought out. This is a powerful guy that, that even in Rome, uh, they would have a statue for him. And this is a guy who himself would call himself. I'm great. I really am. I got the power. I mean, come look at me. And we're reminded that, isn't it true that true greatness never calls attention to itself. True greatness, gospel greatness, never calls attention to itself. So you have this guy, Simon, you have the fact that he's a, he's a celebrity of such, uh, and again, not just doing magic tricks, but really working in the darkness and doing some amazing things. We don't know what, but it really wrapped people's attention. And then comes to town Philip. And remember Philip's story. If you haven't been here with Acts, let me tell you a little uh, briefly about his story. Philip was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip was living in Jerusalem. Uh, A time had shifted in Jerusalem that the church was now being persecuted. There were those who were being killed because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There were guys like Saul who were were dragging men and women uh, to be beaten or stoned or killed. And so Philip, with others, was dispersed to Samaria. And you don't know this in, in our context, but for Jewish people to be sent to Samaria, it's a real dark place. It's not necessarily the place you really want to go and hang out with, hang out there. But Philip, although his life, humanly speaking, was ruined, although everything he knew and experienced was, was shattered, Philip went to even Samaria with good news. I, just pause there. I mean, just be blown away with that. That when all of life seemed to be so broken, There was something so amazingly powerful about what Jesus had done, about his righteous life, about his atoning death, about his resurrection over the grave, that now it was truly finished, that that Philip, like you and me who are gods, had truly been forgiven, that that Philip truly had been set free, that even in Samaria, even after persecution, He went with good news. He went proclaiming that Jesus is for us, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus really is with us. And I'm telling you, he preached it with such power that people's attention now focused off of Simon and went to Philip. And everybody's like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, God's spirit was working through Philip. 
He was doing signs and wonders. And it was clear, not only was he proclaiming a message that was setting people free, his lifestyle was matching it. And now people were looking at Philip. And even Simon was amazed. I love that. Even Simon knows, oh, oh, there's something new in town. I can't do that. I can't touch that. And even Simon says, man, that gospel power. But I want to show you the difference between Philip and Simon because clearly that's what Luke wants us to do. Luke wants to show these two men, both of them who captured the attention of Samaria, but he wants us to see the similarities and the distinctions. Philip didn't call himself great. Philip never mentioned himself. It wasn't about Philip. Everything about Philip was about Jesus. I mean, everything that that Philip did was, was to show the glory to God. I mean, everything that Philip did was so that people would know and love Jesus. Everything that Philip did was about the kingdom of God. And everybody said, man, this is incredible, Philip. He said, all I know is Christ and Christ crucified. All I know is Jesus and man, he has set me free. You see, we got to realize the power of the world points to itself. But the power of the gospel always points to Christ. And the power of the gospel, it's so much more than the world can offer. The world's power, it'll certainly entertain us. And the world's power, it could make us happy for a little bit. But let me tell you the good news. The good news that we find in Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel is the power of God. It's the dunamis of God to bring transformation. I mean, the power of the gospel should should hold our attention because why? It takes those who were dead in their sins and makes them alive. It takes those who were born by nature children of wrath and and makes us beloved children of God. It, It takes people who were in utter darkness and brings them into light. The power of the gospel is the power of God to transform your very life. And it's so powerful that God just can't fill it in your old self, he's got to make you brand new. That's the power of God. And what I love about this is the Holy Spirit just presses upon my heart as I study this passage is Simon amazed the people. But, but Philip's gospel not only amazed the people, it brought them, you ready for this? Joy. Joy. There was a joy revival in Samaria that was different. I mean, they weren't just amused. They were set free. Their sins were forgiven. The only power that will produce lasting joy is the power of God. You know, as you look at this and you see it along the lines of scripture, we realize that you and I, we were made in God's image. And because of that, I believe we were wired to have our attention captured by the amazing and the powerful. Why are we always drawn to it? Why everybody is kind of drawn to that which is amazing, that which is powerful. I think it's a testimony that says it's because God made you in his image. But being sinful, we look for the power to amaze us in all the wrong places. Let's just hit pause. And let me ask you this question. What power has captivated your attention? What power? What power may be of the world? Is it money? Is it, is it the pursuit after or money, a retirement, a certain lifestyle? Is it, is it power? Is it status? I mean, what earthly power has captured your attention? Is it sex? The power of that or the power of porn? I mean, what are you pursuing? What are you captivated over? What, what's drawing you in? Is it the American dream? 
None of that will give you joy. None of it will give you life. None of that will give you meaning. And God offers you so much more. It's the gospel that should, that should capture our attention and our hearts and our very lives. To live our lives knowing that we're his beloved son. That set our face like flint, Jesus, in your direction. We're wired to be captivated by that which was great and amazing. But you and you alone are great. And you and you alone are amazing. And church, we settle for so much less. May we be captured by the amazement of the gospel and the good news of what Christ has done for us. Second thing, the impervious power of the gospel. The impervious power, really what I'm trying to say here is it's, it's not penetratable. It's not mixable. And what we see in Simon is this. Simon wanted the best of both worlds. He had this occult stuff in his pocket. He's pretty good at it. And now he sees the gospel power. And you know what he wants? He wants both. So Simon commits simony or simony and tries to buy the power that the apostles had that the Holy Spirit would come. And I love what Peter says. Peter looks at him. Simon comes and says, listen, I want that what you got. That was really cool, man. You laid your hands on that. That was really cool. Can I give you, how much is that? I mean, let, let me give that to you right now. And let me tell you what the Greek is really saying here. Peter looks at him and he says this, to hell with you and your money. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You think what God's gift is for sale? You think what, what Christ has done in the promise? Oh, you think this is for sale? You think you could buy this with your own righteousness or buy this with your own money? I mean, this is a gift of God. And you've completely missed it. Well, here's the point. Here, here's, here's the point is that we got to see is, is the power of the gospel does not mix with any other power. The power of the gospel is not supposed to be supplemental power or additive power. It's supposed to be all-encompassing power. And here, here's the point. We, we, we can't have it both ways. I mean, we, we can't have one foot in what the world offers and one foot in what Christ is offering to us. And that's what Simon wanted to do. He wanted both. In our community group this last Thursday, we were, we were discussing, how can we forget this so often? How, how do we live our lives uh, so often forgetting God's grace and forgetting that God is the one who's identified us and claimed us of his own? How come we forget this? And the reality we came to is this, is because we really don't want Jesus often. We want to be self-made men and women. We want to have our own identity. We want to have our own righteousness. We want to be good enough. And when we're not good enough, we want Jesus to bridge the gap between what we are and what we hope to be. You see, we want both. And he's not offering us both. And, and sometimes I live my life as I want Jesus to be like on the sidelines of life. And when I just can't make it, just call time out and run out here, Jesus. And, and let me rub the magic lamp a little bit and, and fix my problems and get out of my way. And let me live for myself. That's what Simon was like. I, I don't want to lose my identity. They call me great, man. I, I got a name. I got a reputation. I, I got a gig going on. It's pretty cool. And Peter's like, man, your gig's over if you follow Christ. Your reputation's done. It's nothing about you, Simon. It's everything about Jesus. You can't have it both ways. And we've been bamboozled, church. We've been bamboozled thinking that, that the American dream and the gospel fit. They don't. And we've been bamboozled to think that somehow the gospel story fits in our story and it doesn't. It blows it apart, thank God. 
But beautifully, we fit in the gospel story. Beautifully, we fit in his story. Beautifully, we fit with him. And yet we live our lives like Simon tried to have him fit with us. It just doesn't work. Let me ask you this question. Are you trying to add Jesus in the gospel to your current lifestyle and worldview? Are you just trying to add, I mean, whatever's missing a little bit more, just pour a little bit more Jesus in and maybe get you up to the top. I mean, just take a little bit of the gospel and rub it in and maybe you'll be whole. No, it's, it's coming to Jesus and say, I got nothing. I'm bankrupt. I'm broken. I'm miserably sinful. Can I have all of you? All right. Those are the two points. Those are big ones. And now let's let the credits roll and, and see like the rest of the story. The problem solving power of the gospel. There's some tough stuff in this. The first question I want to deal with this is Simon saved. Is he converted? Is this a true Christian? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this about Simon. He believed. He was baptized. And he hung out with Philip for a while. And he was amazed at the power of the gospel. Hmm. Okay. Seems like some things that would say that he was a convert, saved, follower of Christ. And yet in verse 20, Peter says, to hell with you and your money. To you. In verse 21, Peter says, you have, listen, you have no part, none, zero, zip, no part, no lot of Christianity. In verse 22, he says, you're full of gall, which basically says you you taste bad. I want to spit you out of my mouth. The gall of bitterness. And you have a bad heart. His heart was bad. His soul wasn't free. Why? Because he was in the bond of iniquity. I mean, this man couldn't even pray for himself. He was worried about himself. Even at the end, he's like, listen, I don't want this bad stuff to happen to me. He didn't say anything like, oh my goodness, Lord, I have sinned in your sight. What a sinful man I am. Can you forgive me? No, he said, I don't want that bad stuff to happen to me. Will you pray for me? So what do we do? I'm telling you, I don't believe he's a believer. Well, how do you say that? He believed and was baptized. Let me tell you what James 2.19 says James 2.19 says this about Jesus. Even the demons believe and they shudder. I mean, certainly they're not saved. There's a difference between believing and, and, and professing to believe. I mean, you can, you can have some intellectual assent saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus. But do, do you believe in him? Are you resting on him alone for your salvation as he's freely offered the gospel? I mean, is he your identity? Is he your hope? I mean, are you resting in him alone? Or are you saying, yeah, I believe in a guy named Jesus who lived here a long time ago? The most scary words to me in all of Scripture are Matthew 7, 22. I mean, the most terrifying words I've ever read. It comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's where Jesus says to those who say to him, listen to what they say, those who say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, we did some amazing stuff in your name. We practiced magic. We cast out demons. And we, we, we healed some people. We did some amazing stuff. And Jesus is going to look him in the face. And he's going to say the most terrifying words I've ever heard. He is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's Simon. And we, I, I did all this powerful stuff. But it comes down to the bottom line is, are you truly resting and believing in Christ Jesus? A belief that saves and a belief that doesn't. It's just an ascent. We also got to see that baptism doesn't save anybody. You're not saved because of baptism. And you might have grown up in a tradition that, that when you were baptized, either as a 
an infant or an adult that said that you're now saved. That's not true. Baptism is a sign of salvation. Baptism points to something else. The, the, the shedding of Christ's blood. It's a seal of God's authentic love for us. It's a sign. It's not the reality. It's important in obedience, but it doesn't save anybody. And associating with God's people doesn't save us either, even joining a church. So was he saved? I'd say no. Well, if he was, the question next one would be, can you lose your salvation? Because it looks like you went from believing, baptized, and, and then you're told you have no lot, no part of this thing. Can you lose your salvation? Well, let me tell you, no. Because here's really good news. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is, is, is God's grace to us through faith. It's a gift of God. Philippians 1, 6 says that we are saved by God's grace, that, that he who began the good work in us, it's God who begins the good work in us. It's God who, who even gives us the ability to believe. It's God who, who begins that good work, and he is the one that will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Salvation begins with God's grace. Salvation continues with God's grace, and salvation ends with God's grace. Salvation starts with Jesus. It continues with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not by our works. And we can't even flub it up to the point where he's going to let us go. I know your stories. I, I know your life. And some of you have been in such dark places that, that you can hardly muster up the, the ability to believe. In the early service, in the early service, there was a mom here who I buried her daughter who took her own life. And, 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 I, and I looked at her at this point. I said, remember, it's not your grip on God that matters. It's God's grip on you. And the reality is this, is nothing separates us from the love of Christ Jesus. And the reality of this is this. Jesus never loses one of his sheep. And, and if we could lose our salvation, that gift that God has given to us, then it really is about works. And it's really not about him. It's amazing. He will never let us go Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Okay, another problem. Is there a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit? And it looks like to me that they were baptized into Jesus' name, that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden these guys show up, the apostles show up, and they pray on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Because there'll be those Pentecostal friends of ours who'll say, well, obviously, clearly, salvation has two parts. But let me tell you this. It's more like a premiere of a movie. A premiere of a movie is different than just going to see the movie. If you go to the premiere of the movie, you'll see the stars and the red carpet and the director, and they'll all be there. And it's a little bit different than seeing the movie. This is the premiere of the gospel in Samaria. And the premiere of the gospel in every part of the book of Acts has an unusual uh, filling of the Spirit. It's true with Cornelius we're going to see in chapter 9 and 10. Uh, it's going to be true uh, in Ephesus. Um, and when God comes in a unique way to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit is unique as well. It's not normative. So here's the bottom line. If you are a follower of Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. You see, you cannot be converted without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the one who's got to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You cannot come to Christ without the Holy Spirit. And anybody who is, is a follower of Christ beyond those premieres. And lastly, is there a forgivable, is there an unforgivable sin? I mean, Peter uses some really difficult words here. He says, you better repent. I'm not even sure you can be forgiven. Well, the question is, can you, is there a sin that's unforgivable? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 21, that the only unforgivable sin is grieving the Holy Spirit. And again, I could spend six months on trying to unpack that. And for time's sake, 
Let me just say this. Grieving the Holy Spirit is rejecting the gospel. It's not believing in the truth of what Christ has done for us and offered to us. That's it. If you're a child of God and you can't lose your salvation, you can't commit it. Don't worry about it. And we get so afraid. Is there an unforgivable sin? Yeah, it's just rejecting the gospel. If you do, you'll spend your life separated from God in hell. But if you're his, he'll never let you go. Hebrews 6 deals with this. I don't have time to go there, but for you good Bereans who want to look at more, that's really what's happening in Hebrews 6. Is somebody who, who was close to, to Christianity and took communion and their life got a little bit cleaned up and yet they never really were converted. All right, those are the credits. I know that's kind of a disjointed kind of flow there, but we got to get to the table. God, in his amazing grace to sinners like us, wants to captivate your attention with good news. He wants to draw you away from the world and what they can offer you because it's only brokenness and draw you into life of what his son has done. And this morning, we want to gather around his table. Listen, this is God's love to us. He wants you to actually touch and see and taste the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. This is not a meal for Simon. This is not a meal for those who are close to God as far as proximity goes, but not truly converted by God. So if you are here and you, by God's grace, know that you're a broken sinner and you have placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, come to the table and be reminded and let him fix your eyes on what he's done for you. Be reminded you're free and it was enough and sufficient of a sacrifice for you. But if you're not truly his, you don't truly believe, if you haven't confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're not saved. And don't come to a table that says you have. Scripture says to do so in an unworthy manner is dangerous. But let me also tell you, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to say, where, where am I fixed on the world's power in a way that's taking my eyes off of Jesus? Am I trying to walk my life with one foot in one world and one foot in another? When he offers you so much more, my brothers and sisters, come. Come and partake of God's good news. Let us pray. Father, come. Come and and not only feed us, but remind us. Remind us and come in such power that we could fix our lives, our, our minds, our hearts, our gaze, our lifestyle on Jesus. Father, forgive us for being so captivated by the world's power, whether it's money, power, sex, status, position, whatever, forgive us. Come and and do powerful work in our lives. Thanks for loving us. God, thanks for never letting us go. Thanks for never losing any of your sheep. Thanks for giving us the privilege of being your children. We love you. We're overwhelmed by your love for us. Come and be with us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Come and wash over us again. Reveal our sin to us just so we have the privilege of confessing it and being cleansed. Come and meet with anybody who's yet to confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. Even today, even now, may they come. Come and acknowledge that maybe they've been close to you in proximity, but never in a way that they've pushed their faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for their sins. Come, Jesus. Come and bless the tithes and offerings. Use it to advance your kingdom. 
Come and feed your people, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.